All right, good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for coming back to the Strategy Stacker, where we're talking today again with David Thomas from Trilogy Funding about how to get the loan that you want. Um, now, we know we spoke in our last episode about the impacts of coronavirus and the things that you could consider in relation to restructuring home loans or taking advantage of a current situation to be able to be prepped and ready for either market acquisitions, share market purchases, or to go out and purchase your second, third, or fourth investment property. Today, we're gonna to talk about the characteristics of a good loan and how you can try and get the best outcome by touching on some of the key things that obviously impact your ability to borrow, the structure of your loan, where your loan actually ends up, um, as well as some of the things that you should consider in relation to fixed versus variable, offset versus redraw, and some of the other key components of the, uh, of the borrowing process. So without that, uh, Dave, mate, thanks again for your time. No, thanks for having me once again, Luke. Feels like it was just yesterday we were having a chat. <laughs> mate, today we're gonna, uh, we're gonna pick your brain in relation to obviously the things that the bank is looking for. Um, yep. Obviously off the back of the Royal Commission, the attitude towards lending and, and some of the paperwork has obviously changed you know, across the finance industry, be it lending, be it insurance, be it super or, or personal investment. So today we're gonna touch on some of those key things. Um, but I think, I think the, the, the one that I get a lot, obviously, is uh, do I fix it or do I take a variable loan? Um, yeah. What are some of the key things you find that, that you sort of tell your clients in relation to what they need and, and, and the type of loan structure that's going to be right for them? Yeah, look, I think um, the number one thing is think about what you're trying to accomplish. Um, maybe trying to accomplish you know, today, but also what you're trying to accomplish in six months' time, 12 months' time, three years' time, five years' time. Right? So if you're looking for a very safe set-and-forget type lending setup, um, incorporating some fixed rate at the moment is probably not such a bad idea. The reason being fixed rate is, uh, with most lenders, somewhere between 2.09 and 2.29%. Now, I'm not advocating just to fix everything because rates are awesome. Um, what I usually suggest to clients is that fixed rate is, gives you the ability to have consistency of payments, okay? Because the RBA, at the moment, we're at a quarter of a percent. Maybe it goes to zero. Maybe it goes negative. Um, maybe the squeeze on variable rates. Maybe variable rates end up cheaper than fixed rates. I don't know. But... If you came to me and said, look, I just need, it's uncertain times. I want to know what the bulk of my payment's going to be for the next three years. Um, and I, I owe the bank $400,000. Give me a suggestion. Then the suggestion could be having part fixed, part variable, the variable part with an offset, um, and, and having a linked credit card. That would be a very safe, very simple structure. Could be done with the majority of lenders and would accomplish having good pricing, a good low rate and very good consistency mm. over the next two, three, um, and then on to five years. Yeah. Um, I think, so I think that, that's, that for me is really important because, you know, I generally have that conversation. It's not about trying to pick the bottom of an interest rate cycle. Like it's not trying to pick the bottom of an equity market. I think fixed rates have a, a, a peace of mind and a comfort element to them you know, for the, the points that you've just alluded to. And I think that's what people should worry about more so than how cheap can I get it? Because yeah. this is not a short-term thing. 
you buy properties and hold them for the duration. You know, it's at least, you know, three, four, five plus years. Um, so I think having that peace of mind to be able to say, I know that this portion of my payment is going to be X and it's going to be X for this time frame. Regardless of what happens, you have that continuity and that peace of mind. And then you can play at the margins on the variable side, yeah. uh, incorporate offset accounts and, and, and redraw facilities that we're going to talk about next. But having that, that ability to say, okay, no matter what happens over the next three years, I'm paying X on this portion of my home loan and I have the ability to sleep at night knowing that that won't change, especially if you've gone out and, and swung for the fence on your, on your, your initial property purchase. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, just good consistency because you really don't know what the RBA is going to do. Maybe they go down. Maybe they squeeze on variable rates. Um, if, you, if you take that kind of uh, conservative approach, then um, if rates go down, you, you won't be too upset um, because you've got the benefit. If rates go up, you also won't be too upset because you've got the benefit of the fixed rate. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's really important. And then that leads into the next thing you said, which is in you know, having funds in offset or redraw. Obviously, offset or redraw doesn't work with fixed. It only works with variable. So having that variable component opens the door for that. Um, and I think we talked in our previous video about if we've got buffer, we should have buffer in the offset account. And if, so let's say we talk about that $400,000 home loan we talked about before. If, let's say we need a $350,000 home loan, we still borrow the four hundred. dollars park the 50 in the offset account and therefore we've got 50 there um, that we can use uh, to, to weather the storm. So some people, it's a case of, do I need offset or do I need redraw? What's better for me? Um, if, if one of your family members can't deal with seeing $50,000 in a bank account and not buying a new mountain bike or a new pair of shoes, then you need redraw. Um, if you... If you're like me and you see comfort in cash, mm. then you need offset. Um, it's completely personal preference. Um, obviously, we're talking about personal home loan borrowings. We're not talking about conflicting debt or you know what the purpose of the borrowing was. We're in the we're in the assumption that it's all personal um, borrowing. So therefore, redraw offset makes no difference. Personal preference only. Um, just depend on you know what the spending habits of your family members might be. So. And I think that's a, that's a really important point to make because if you start to muddy the investment and the deductibility of interest, offset and redraw discussion can become very, very different in relation to the way that the money is accessed and obviously its purpose, whether it's, it's deductible or not. So I think that's a, a very important point that you've made. We're talking about non-deductible home loan debt here. Um, the intricacies of offset and redraw really start to change when you move into the investment space because you could be then impacting or, or limiting your ability to claim deductions depending on the purpose of the borrowing, um, where an offset account has a different treatment to a redraw facility. And that's something that, that people should keep in mind um, because it's not something that obviously is carte blanche the same across the board. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a really good thing to, you know, just point out. Um, the other thing, obviously, whether we go fixed or variable with offsets and redraws is, you know, we saw last year and the year before the government implement what they call macro prudential policy, where we saw interest only loans come under significant pressure um, and they wanted to limit or increase the, the interest costs associated with those loans to as a, as a disincentive 
um, for people to go and leverage on an interest-only basis because obviously APRA want to see people paying off home loans and with a heavily indebted um, society, obviously if people aren't making principal repayments, um, they start to get a little bit worried and that was one of the drivers off the back of the, the, the findings of the GFC, uh, sorry, the, the Royal Commission. Um, so having that split and, and the money in the offset, obviously, if you do see a rate rise, you've got some protection there and you're again, not coming under fortnightly or monthly pressure in relation to your cash flow. Um, so we've talked about the type of loan that we want. We've talked about the type of offset or redraw facility that we want. So what's the, the, what are the key things people could have ready so that they can put their best foot forward when it comes to actually coming in and, and, and getting a loan? Yep, all right. So there's a couple of, there's obviously standard documents that we're going to need, which you would assume, um, things like making sure your tax returns are update, up to date, um, making sure they're lodged with the ATO, uh, making sure you've got your notice of assessment. If you're self-employed, you'll definitely need that. Um, if you're PAYG, we need to make sure that you know your pay slips are all up to date, that you've got last year's PAYG summary handy, so we can evidence to a lender what you're earning. Uh, if, you're, if you've got rental or investment properties, um, we need to make sure that you've got a current lease in place, um, that you've got last month's statement, that in fact your tenant is paying the rent. Um, if you're self-managing it, that you've got three months clean statements where you can show or you can evidence the rental income that you've been receiving from the property. Um, these are all you know, standard things that the lender is going to be looking for. They're also going to be looking for identification documents, you know, passports, driver's licenses, do all the names match is probably a really important thing. Um, and we're going to be looking for um, proof of asset uh, or proof of collateral things such as, you know, rates notices for properties that you're going to use as security and making sure that they're paid and up to date. So, so that's really your standard documents list. Um, you then go on to your, the next section which is your living expenses so what a lender is looking to do is they're looking to look at an applicant john and jane smith and they're looking to make sure that john and jane smith can continue on with their current living and service the new debt they don't want to say well we're going to give you this house but you can never eat out ever again you're going to have to live on two minute noodles for the rest of your life they're going to say well what has john and jane spent on living expenses for the last six months and we just need to make sure that if we give them a loan they can continue to live like that in the new house um, the easiest way to do that is look at john and jane smith's credit card and bank statements for the last six months split them into 14 different categories and work out what it is that they've been spending and take out um, purely discretionary spending obviously john and jane smith aren't going to fiji every month uh, but they may have last month, you know, so we need to have some discretion with that. Although that sounds like a completely arduous process, nowadays there's computer programs that do it. So there's, there's um, bankstatements.com, cash deck link. Uh, there's plenty of um, apps that we use to systemize that process and make it painless for the client. Um, the next thing that banks are looking for is they're looking for statements. So they're looking for your last six months worth of, as we said, transaction credit cards, but also looking for conduct on last six months worth of statements for um, car loans, uh, last six months worth of statements for property loans, both owner occupied and investment properties um, and so on and so forth. They are also looking 
for at your credit file. So if you haven't seen a copy of your credit file lately, you need to go and get one. Um, you need to jump onto Equifax, they're free, get one, have a look through it before you make any loan applications. Reason being, I would think on near a daily basis, one of my brokers would have an issue where someone forgot about a Latitude account or a GE account from Harvey Norman five years ago. You swore that you paid it off. You haven't seen a statement. You've since moved house. As far as you're concerned, it does not exist. With open data, that, that is showing as an ongoing facility on your credit file. Um, the other thing that we need to look at is on open data, the payment history on a lot of your accounts have been reported maybe over the last 12 or, or six months, depending on, on some reporting institutions. And we need to make sure that even though the statements that you've supplied for the last six months might look up to date, if you missed a couple of payments eight months ago, that might be on the credit file. So we need to have a look at that too. Um, so they're, they're the main things that we need to focus on when it comes to um, getting yourself ready for a loan application. Um, then there's one more thing that we need to cover off on before we move to the next section. Um, and this really has to deal with older borrowers, um, borrowers such as yourself and myself, Luke, that maybe have a little bit more grey hair or a little bit less of it than we used to have. He's up on that. He's up on that. <laughs> and uh, what the lender is wanting to know is um, if we're aged 45 and we're taking a 30-year loan, what's our exit strategy? I love what I do, but I'm not sure I want to do it until I'm age 75. Mm. Um, worse still, what if I'm 55 and I'm trying to, and I'm downgrading and I want a 30-year loan? Or, you know, so we need to have a think also about our exit strategy mm. and we need to have that prepared. We need to be able to go to a lender and say, I'm 50, I want a 30-year term loan, but here's my strategy. I'm going to pay it for the next 15 years and then I'm going to sell this investment property and clear the debt or I'm going to take a lump sum payment from super and clear the debt and here's my superannuation account and I've talked to my financial planner and he says if I take $200,000 out of here, I can still have a pension of X amount of dollars. You know, we need to have that exit strategy ready. And I think um, that, that's, that's where, again, you, you know, we spoke last week when we, when, when we covered off the, the, the real benefits of getting advice in relation to using a broker. I think putting that strategy together and having that holistic view with you know your, your trusted advisor, be it your accountant, your planner, you know, or anyone else, um, really ensures that you have a really, really strong chance of getting the loan that you want with a provider that will give you the flexibilities that you're after. Because as we said last time, everybody's situation is a little bit different, and understanding what we want to do now, the medium term, and obviously the longer term. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of time saying, well, give me your why. Let's start with why, and with the end game in mind. Um, and that could be who owns the property, that could be the structure of the loan, that could be the provider and the 10 offset accounts that you want. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's where, you know, somebody like yourself can add some real value to somebody and really put the client's best foot forward in relation to getting the outcome thereafter, be it a refinance, be it a new purchase. Um, because some of the things we've just touched on there, whilst they sound like you can take them for granted, they can actually have a quite a detrimental impact on the lens that the bank applies to your particular application. Yeah, absolutely. So probably the next section that we need to have a chat about is the new questions that they've been asking in the last month or so. So if you are self-employed, 
they've already got your last year's tax returns. But if you think about it, Luke, your last year's tax returns, if you were self-employed, uh, give no indication of how you've been trading for the last coming on nine months. Mm. Right? So what they're now asking for is, okay, well, let's see all your BAS statements from the period of time from the last tax return through to now. So show me your last three BASs. Um, maybe even show me a set of interim statements for your business, um, a P&L and, uh, and a balance sheet. Um, and uh, if and and show me that you know there's cash in in bank in business bank accounts to meet ATO commitments and things like that. Um, then the next questions that they're asking are if you're self-employed, um, show me your salary credits. Uh, showing, you know, because you might have a pay slip that's six weeks old. Um, a lender might want to see that the one that's two weeks old and that you got paid a fortnight ago. Um, so more up-to-date salary credits and more up-to-date pay slips. They also want to ask some questions about whether your market segment that you work in is at risk um, and if it's at risk, how is it at risk and what strategies have you got to get around that? Um, and what is your ability to pay? Um, and although these are, you know, quite reasonable uh, kind of, you know, questions, there weren't questions that were asked before um, and they, they need to be. And it's just really, you know, poignant over all the things that have happened in the last month, how banks are, are changing um, to kind of involve these questions in their, in their loan applications. Yeah, and look, I think, again, that's, that's obviously a good thing because we saw the lending environment change post-Royal Commission. We saw, you know, a tightening of, you know, your ability to borrow and obviously have a treat, bonus payments, commission payments, um, you know, penalties for certain occupations like police and fire and, and things of that nature. And, you know, this isn't something that people should be upset about. They're not, they're not picking on you. They're not having a go at you. They're just trying to ensure that they can make an informed decision in relation to the way that they lend and in a way indirectly protect you from over committing yourself and actually causing yourself unnecessary financial duress in the event that you know you are in one of those occupations where you've come under pressure because of COVID-19 or you've seen a significant change in the viability of your business or you know you could have had something as simple as you've lost key staff which has had an impact to, to revenue over a six to 12 month period so it, it's not something that you know, people should be upset about. They're not, they're not singling you out. I know that's, that's an assumption that people can make when, you know, the paperwork drags on and there's a few more pieces that you need to pull together. But at the end of the day, you've got to appreciate that the lender is going to give you a significant amount of money. And like anything in life, you're on the hook for it. And obviously both sides want to be protected. And, you know, in a way it should give the, the, the borrower the comfort to know that, yes, my financials do stack up and I am trading and operating in a position where I can, you know, make the investment decision that you, you know, you bring into the table with, with the utmost confidence. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing personal mm. in a loan application approval. People make it personal. Yes, it's correct. not personal. Yeah. It's, it, it really comes down to these, the next uh, five C's of credit, which we're going to have a chat about, yeah. which is um, the only personal component about it is your character. And they're not looking at is Luke Smith a good guy or is John and Jane Smith good people? They are looking at what has your conduct been previously? Mm. You know, when we talk about credit and we talk about character, we, we look at really what's your conduct, what's your history, what's your credit score, and, and you know, do we have good, clean statements mm. and how are we spending our money? 
Um, the, so that's C for character. The next one, C for capital. Um, how much the loan to value ratios have, you know, obviously come back a little bit since, uh, even since GFC. Mm -hmm. um, you know, owner occupiers now really 92% plus lenders mortgage insurance is about where most lenders are a maximum uh, for their comfortability factor. They prefer 88 plus lenders mortgage insurance. And really, if given the chance, it's 80%. So they're looking at, you know, how much capital are you injecting into the deal? Um, and, and, you know, what your equity position is, if it's a refinance, um, or how much deposit you've got, if it's, if it's a purchase. The next thing is collateral. Collateral, what you are offering them as a security has a big bearing nowadays on loan applications. Um, if you're trying to offer me a four-bedroom family home in the suburbs um, that needs no maintenance, no repairs, and it's been recently renovated, that's a good bit of collateral for the bank to take. If you're trying to offer a 40-square-metre studio apartment um, in a 300-apartment high-rise building with no basement car park, that's not a good piece of security for the bank to take, right? If you're trying to offer me uh, a, a student-let accommodation around the corner from a uni and it has seven bedrooms, all with locks on the doors, three bathrooms and an outside laundry, um, and it's inhabited for the majority of the year by unruly, you know, uni students, not a good piece of collateral for the bank to take, right? So um, have a think about what we're trying to offer as collateral um, and how that might affect our loan applications. Yep. We've talked a lot about what they're looking to evidence uh, in terms of your serviceability, with, you know, that income piece, yep. um, but and having a look at that serviceability point of view um, and how at risk is your current income. If you earn $200,000 a year, but $100,000 of its base and $100,000 of its commission, mm -hmm. at the moment, how much are you selling? Um, I've got, you know, quite a few clients on my books that are in automotive retail. Um, walk into any car showroom at the moment, no one's hitting their targets. No mm -hmm. one's getting commission in the next six months. Yeah. That's just the way it is. So have a look at capacity. And the last one is have a look at common sense. Um, not are so you, common these days. It's not so common these days. Are you trying to leverage your home to go and make an extremely speculative investment mm. that you don't have any experience in? A yeah. lender is going to be looking at that. If, if, you know, John and Jane Smith have been public servants for the last 10 years and they come to me and say, hey, David, here's my pay slips. Here's my uh, equity position. I have, you know, I'm ticking all the boxes, um, but I want to take $200,000 out against my home to go and buy a fish and chip shop because it's always been my dream. How much, you know, how successful is that fish and chip shop going to be if they have no industry experience mm. in it? Um, it? It really could, um, you know, go wrong and the lenders don't want loans that could go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, look really, really important. Mate, just give your uh, give your camera a tap there. We've just lost you for a sec. Here he comes. Did you? Yeah. You know, I think I think that last one, mate, is 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 obviously something that is is very important. You know, I have a conversation with a lot of clients about you know good consistent behaviours will generally outstrip any short term speculative punt, be it investment markets, 
you know, be it property developments. Um, you know, everybody wants to be a builder. Everybody thinks they can dual lock you something. And, you know, this, this misconception that property is risk-free and it'll double every 10 years. Um, I think, you know, for every client that comes in and says, I made a ton of money on, you know, property A, I sold this one at a loss or I, or, or I didn't make as much on properties A, B, C, D and E. Um, so it's always about, you know, playing within your, you know, your field of expertise, playing within your own personal cash flow and, and, and not trying to keep up with the, with the Joneses or the Snydros or the Keebers out there because, you know, you, you can only count money in your own pocket. Um, and it's, it's, it's very tempting with low interest rate environments and, and everybody trying to, you know, not one-up each other, but, you know, um, be proactive. And, and, and I'm not against people being proactive in relation to trying to build their wealth regardless of the, you know, the, the platform you choose to use. But keep it within check. I think that last one is obviously one that people can lose sight of. Um, and the grass does generally tend to look a little greener if you're playing outside of your day-to-day -day occupation. Um, you, you know, your public service you know, analogy there is great because you speak to most builders and if they could get out of the sun, they'd love to sit at a desk. And most people sitting at a desk would love to get out and, you know, build a house. So I think people need to stick to their knitting in, in a lot of instances and, and play within parameters that build in some fat. And, you know, we've touched on having money in offset accounts and six to 12 months of lifestyle money, you know, in the bank just in case. And I think you should always have that regardless of the, your capacity to borrow and your, your capacity to leverage and, and expand your, you know, your wealth creation, regardless of how you do it. Um, capacity and common sense are two that, you know, that, that they can't be discounted. Um, you, you touched on lenders mortgage insurance before when we were yeah. talking about the lending capacities of borrowers. What sort of numbers do they want to see now to avoid that? Because obviously that can be a significant impost for, especially for young borrowers that are trying to get into the market. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a slight, lenders mortgage insurance calculated on a sliding scale. So at, to avoid it altogether, we need a 20% deposit. Right. If if we've got a 15% deposit, so we're borrowing at 85% loan to value ratio, our lender's mortgage insurance is about 1% to 1.2% of the loan amount. If we are at 90% loan to value ratio, i.e. we've got a 10% deposit, we're looking at 2 to 2.5% of the loan amount. So it's double for that 5%. Um, and if we're looking at trying to get a 92 to 93%, loan to value ratio, uh, the lender's mortgage insurance is about three and a half uh, to 3.8% of the loan amount. So it really does get expensive. Um, and the advice that we try and guide our clients towards is there is a sweet spot at about an 88 to 90% loan to value ratio where it seems to be reasonably good value that, you know, the, the amount of deposits that you've put in versus um, the amount of cost it has a balance yep. um, past that point higher than that it, it gets very expensive uh, and then you know trying to save up an extra you know eighty thousand dollars to avoid um, five thousand dollars in lenders mortgage insurance then is on the other side of the scale mm. so um, yeah so it, it's just something that always needs to be factored in um, and obviously lenders mortgage insurers have different credit criteria so it's in fact easier to get a loan the bigger deposit that you have because the lender's mortgage insurance criteria moves and changes. People have, people have never got themselves in trouble having too much cash to throw it in a, a new investment opportunity. No, 
No, no, that's not. The bigger the- sometimes six to twelve months of saving can actually, you know, when you look at the compounding cost of a of a loan at any interest rate, can actually make something a lot more expensive or a lot cheaper um, for an extended period of saving. So you've got a little bit more ammo to throw at it right off the bat. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to throw at as well, and I think this one's missed a lot with with people is if you have open credit card facilities and you might have a limit of $5,000, you might have a limit of $20,000. If you've got a $20,000 credit card, but you've only got one or $2,000 on it and you clear it religiously every month, that's great behavior to have. Um, But how does the bank factor the capacity of your credit card into, you know, the, the picture that you're paying for them? Credit cards actually do a lot of damage to a lot of people's loan applications. We spend a lot of time getting clients to close down credit cards that they don't use yep. um, before we put loan applications in. Um, if you've, how, how that's calculated is if you've got a $10,000 credit card, they will take 4% of the total limit of that card and add it as a monthly commitment. So a $10,000 card is $400 a month. That's huge. The, the repayment on a new Corolla is $400 a month, right? So you, you've got the decision. You can buy a $25,000 Corolla and park it in your garage, or you can have a $10,000 credit card in the back of your, your uh, wallet that you don't use has the same bearing on your loan application. So that's why we have kind of closing. Down. That's the important thing is you're not using it. It's one thing to have the facility. It's another thing to have it maxed out. But for them to assess you as if you've committed to that, to the use of that card can obviously add from a, from a serviceability perspective. You only need two or three of those and throw in a, I'm assuming a store card is a similar thing. Yep. Correct. So store card, Amex, credit card, Visa, MasterCard, doesn't matter. It's all the same. Um, and the other thing is the multiple cards look bad too. Hmm. Um, so if you've got a loan application and, and let's say you do have a family credit card, um, you know, John and Jane Smith share a $10,000 credit card between them. Looks okay on a loan application. Um, if John's got a $5,000 NAB one, a $2,000 GE one, uh, and then uh, Jane's got a, an old St. George one for five grand that she's had forever, uh, and then she's got something else, four cards, it all starts to look a little bit messy from a lending point of view. Um, They wonder why we've got four cards. What are we doing with them? Are we doing balance transfers? Did we need to do balance transfers? Did you get yourself into problems earlier on? Did you need to take out the extra card for cash flow? You can see how that then starts the questions of, well, what if they did? How do we know that they didn't? Maybe we should have a drill through their bank statements to see if John's down the club every weekend betting on horses. or like You can see how they just go off on a tangent as soon as they see something that falls in this bucket of being suspicious, off they go. They know where to dig. You gotta remember a credit file assessor is looking at up to 40 or 50 applications a day and their bosses have spent years teaching them where to look, where the skeletons are buried. And it's funny thing about humans and money, we all tend to sometimes do the the same things Um, and patterns form. So it's amazing. They always know exactly where to dig, exactly where to look. They know where the skeletons are buried. We just need to make sure that we are putting the cleanest possible applications up on behalf of our clients for review by the lender. 
And I think, again, that's, that's why I sort of raise those ones because they're those little landmines that people don't realise because they say, oh, yeah, you know, I have conversations with people about their, their overall debt position. Have you got credit cards and personal loans? Yeah, I've got credit cards cleared every month. That's fine. But it's your view of the world and how the bank looks at them where you add the greatest value to say, well, yes, John and Jane, you do pay things off every month, but there are four or five here that have the you know, $100,000 combined limit that then goes into other assessments that people don't know about, you know? And, and I say regularly, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and, and that really is, is, is super prevalent here because whilst you think you're doing the right thing, paying it off, and it's not something that could be a potential negative, it actually is. And it's, it, it could be a huge funding issue um, without understanding the lens that the bank is, is, is looking at your application through somebody like yourself. Correct. Yeah. It, it's about knowing how the bank's going to look at things and yeah. what that might mean for your loan application. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I, I stress for people out there, obviously, watching the, watching the YouTube channel or, or listening to the podcast, if you're not sure about what you're going to do, get in early. Um, the one thing I think I've learned from speaking to a number of third parties over the last couple of weeks is, if you get in front of something and you get in early and understand all of the issues and, and all of the things that you can do, you would much rather be fully informed than find out that if you'd done something sooner, you could have got a better outcome. So I'm sure you don't mind if, if people are looking to try and purchase or want to purchase, you know, in the next six to 12 months, I'm just, you're more than happy for people to come in and sort of lay out how they can go about trying to put their best foot forward, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, best laid plans uh, are what we specialise in. So, yeah, absolutely. Get in touch with me, come in, have a meeting, or we can catch up via Zoom or have a phone meeting um, and discuss what the needs are and, and you know, what our timeframes are going to be to put that in place. Yeah, no I, think, I think that's, that's, that's invaluable because, you know, you've got it there from, from the mouth of somebody that, that puts stories together for the lender every you know, every couple of days for different people um, to get a very positive outcome. And, you know, your your application to settlement rate's got to be pretty good, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, my application settlement rate's in the high 90s. There you um, go. I, I don't have too many too many losses. I can I can count them, you know, on one hand every year, the amount that don't go through. So. But again, they, they come about because you're putting a best foot forward and you're positioning something in the best light taking into account the resources that clients have and the collation of information in a timely manner to be able to get the outcome. Because as we said earlier, it's nothing personal about the questions that they're asking, but it does have a, a personal impact on a partner, a loved one, the kids, because if you can't get the house to live in the area to go to the school or you can't have the house with the pool that your partner wants, you know, there's going to be ramifications. And it may mean you mow a few extra lawns or wash a few extra cars. But, you know, I think it's very, very timely in the current environment for people to understand what they're looking for. Because the lens that, that, that we look at in the lending world, just like the lens people look at in the insurance world, what you may not think is a big problem, has a completely different view in the eyes of somebody that has a different agenda. Yeah. Um, Mate, thank you again for your time. I, you know, I appreciate catching up and, and rattling these things over. Again, if people want to get in touch and, and, and make sure that they're lining all their paperwork up in the right way, how can they, um, how can they reach out and get in touch with you? Absolutely. And give me a call here in the office on 1300 657 132. They can send me an email, uh, david.thomas at trilogyfunding.com.au or they can Google Trilogy Funding 
um, they'll be able to find us here in Deakin. Yeah, look, I think that's the, the best way to go. Google is obviously the, the, the port of all truth now. And, um, you know, I've, I've had a delve through your website and, you know, the Google reviews are off the chart. So, you know, I think people can have a lot of comfort in knowing that, you know, 2019 broker of the year can, um, can put their best foot forward and get them the outcome that they're after with a greater likelihood of a successful application uh, when compared to going to a bank and, and obviously doing it themselves. Dave, thanks again for your time, mate, and um, we'll catch up shortly for another episode. No worries. Thanks for having me, Luke. Thanks, buddy. Bye, mate.